Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Vits of Gold, episode 131. Today's episode is all about embracing adversity and personal growth. Welcome back to another episode of the Bits of Gold podcast. If you're new here, first off, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Second, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Now let's get to it. When adversity hits you square in the face, how do you navigate? Do you surrender? Or do you say bring it on and use that moment of adversity as a way to grow? On today's episode, that is exactly what we will be discussing. How to embrace adversity and grow as a result. Today my guest is Lance Essios. Lance is a world traveler and has made it his life mission to help heal the world through the art of powerful storytelling and human connection. He is the host of the top-rated podcast, University of Adversity, motivating hundreds of thousands of listeners to turn their darkest days into their greatest motivators. And now, let's welcome Lance to the show. Let's start this one off. Maybe you could introduce yourself. Tell us a little about yourself, who you are, what you do, and we'll dive yeah. in from there. So. I guess what I would label myself now is I host top 50 podcasts called University of Adversity. I've been doing that since the end of December 2018. I also just wrote a book, number one bestseller on Amazon called Mastering Adversity, Unlock the Warrior Within, Turn Your Biggest Struggles into Your Greatest Gifts. And I'm also founder of Mike Up Media, where we help inspirational leaders grow their business, their brand, and their network by getting featured on podcasts and other PR opportunities. So that's what I do if you want to like what I do as like a career kind of thing. But if I uh, had to describe myself, I'm just on an endless pursuit to really unlearn a lot of the programming to remember why I was put on this earth, you know, unlearning to remember. And really that means to me clearing out the fog, things that have limited me over the years and connecting to what my true purpose is, my truest potential. And I don't believe that it's discovering it. I believe that it's remembering, it's connecting to it, and it's always been here. And as I do the work, as I have conversations like this, as I you know, interview people as I write books, as I do the healing on myself, I'm able to get a clear message to what that is and choose different things and a path that aligns with my greatest potential. And my goal of all this is to give others the permission and the inspiration to be able to find that and discover that for themselves, whatever that looks like. And if it means that the work that I do is able to help people just think a little bit differently, make a different decision, and create a little bit of momentum to change your life, then I'm doing my job. So that's been a constant evolution. And I just really love to serve people the best I can with my abilities. And as I start to grow and get further down the journey, I get better at different skills. And that's where I'm at today. So it's been challenging, but it's also been a beautiful experience up until this point. I love that. That's a powerful mission that definitely will will pull you forward. I want to dive into a little bit about the beginning of your story. And I know it starts with you playing hockey. But before that, you use this word programming. 
I'm curious if you could dive into society's programming or what you feel that means to you when you use the word programming, because that's a, that's a pretty unique word that you don't hear every day. I mean, I think that at a young age, we are very open to all possibilities, you know, as kids. And I think kids are very smart, very creative and imaginative and all these different things. I think that as we start to go through school systems and we start to get I guess indoctrinated into the society of the programming of like the learning and how things should be and what you should do and what things we should do versus what we feel we want to do. These conditions and these programs start to be set early. And the thing is, when you're a kid, you don't have a filter as to decide what information and what beliefs and what things are coming at your way are good or bad. There just are. So depending on what you went through, those are going to be what shape your beliefs up until, you know, you're 10 years old. You know, I was blessed to be able to have a family with lots of love and be able to play a sport that I loved. But it was also challenging as well, right? And emotionally, like, you know, like we all go through as kids, it's, it's all different. But I think depending on the, the environment that you're in and what you decide to choose, you're going to, it's going to influence you. Mm, absolutely. And over the years, when I was a teenager, things got really, really challenging. I moved away from all my family and went down a road of a new step family and a lot of different painful things happened over the years. I, I guess that became my story, which led to a lot of different choices around alcohol and trying to like numb myself of feeling what it was, these things that I had installed into my body and my mind. And then as I started to realize that a lot of that stuff isn't true, which is the programs, then I needed to realize I needed to get to the bottom of what that was that was causing me to do these things, you know, like escaping. So having to go back and kind of work through those and feel through those and kind of unlearn the bullshit that isn't true, the stories that I tell myself over the years that we all have and realize that a lot of that stuff isn't true. It's just a story. So that's kind of like what that programming means. And for me, the more that I've been able to connect with other people who've created a lot of success and have done amazing things that I realized that, wow, you've gone through your stuff too. And I realized how similar we all are. And I believe that one of the key abilities that one can have, one of the superpowers is being vulnerable and being able to share your truth. Because when you do that, you give permission for others to do that. And when you start to do that, you can start unlearning and feeling through what that story and those programs are for you. So like I said, it starts at a young age and we all have it. So it's really about being aware of it and then kind of finding, figuring out if you're, you have things in your life that are affecting your life, getting to the root of where it started and what caused it and working through it. So that's a little bit of context into that. It's interesting hearing you dive deep into society's programming, life programming. It's so interesting because obviously, you know, you have these stories that or these experiences and people that influence your life from a very young age. And it certainly shapes your view of the world and what you believe is possible or what you believe is right and wrong and what you're supposed to do on this journey called life. And it's crazy how much that can influence the different paths of your life and the life you ultimately do live versus the possibility, the infinite possibilities of the life you could live. Absolutely. I think everybody has that. <laughs> like, <laughs> No matter who the person is and what we see as the successful person, they all have a story. They all have some sort of thing that they're working through or have and some limitation. Sometimes we think that these people have it all figured out. 
But if you go deep, there's always something. There's always something that they're that they still haven't figured out. Maybe it's something that you have figured out, and you're like, "How? How can they? Well, how do they see life that way? But I see it this way." And then you see what they do really well, and it's it's different for you. So that's what's pretty cool about it is that I think everybody's on their own journey of figuring out what that is. I guess the more conversations that happen like this, the more awareness that's created, so that people can actually go deep and, and discover what that is for them. I think one of the things that's really interesting around the idea of programming is that I think a lot of people don't even recognize that like in many ways, right? Like as long as you're abiding by the law, the laws of society, there are really no rules in life, right? Like you can go about doing a million things. You have infinite possibility when you wake up. But a lot of people have these formed ideas around, you know, especially I think in the US, it's like so many people here go to school, they go to college, they get a job, they climb the ladder. That's it. That's kind of like the life. That's what you're supposed to do. I feel the conversation is evolving where now people are starting to recognize maybe that they have more agency in their life and that they don't have to follow this path. But I remember even when I was growing up, like that was the narrative. And people ask you questions that abide by that. Where are you going to go to college? Where are you going to go to school? What are you going to do when you're done with school? What are you going to do when you graduate? So I have family that lives abroad. They grew up in Israel and the mentality there is so different. And I'm fascinated by it. I have a cousin after he finished with school, then you go into the army there. But after that, he decided to travel in Australia, lived on a farm, went to New Zealand, traveled the world and did all these things that I think many people in the US would be like, you're crazy. What? You're not going to go get a job after that? It's interesting whenever you meet someone or come across someone that isn't playing by the the programmed rules that, that are so ingrained in us. Yeah. It's crazy because you go back, it's like, who's making the rules here? You know, I was the same way. When I grew up, I was a hockey player. And then it was like, okay, well, what are you going to do if that doesn't work out? Then go to university. When that wasn't an option because I didn't have the money for it. Everybody in my high school, at the time I graduated in 2001, all the baby boomers were retiring from all the trades work. So if you're a carpenter, electrician, roofer, all of that. So there was a huge demand for that. They encouraged us to go do that. And I was like, man, I hate that work. I respect it. I know a lot of my friends ended up doing it, but I tried it. I tried doing those things because others were telling me to do them. And it like it made me so miserable that I couldn't believe that somebody could do that because I was a people person growing up. You know, like I, I need to socialize. Otherwise, it feels like I'm being tortured. It was just something that I did. And I was like, man, this is not my way. And it was tough because when I finished playing hockey, I had to kind of move through that story of why did hockey fail? What's wrong with you? you know, and then go into the next thing of like, well, what am I supposed to do now? And I tried a bunch of things and I had to deal with all my friends getting these jobs or going to university. And I just felt like a bum, <laughs> you know, like, cause I didn't know what I was doing. And then, you know, eventually finding the bar industry, which is something that was frowned upon by a lot of people, but it, it ended up being something that I really enjoyed the restaurant industry because I liked serving people. I liked giving people an experience. It felt good. So that's kind of where I landed. But like for me, I've never subscribed to people telling me to do something and doing it because they told me to. Never. Since I was, <laughs> since I was a kid. Like it's, <laughs> if I don't want to do it, I'm not doing it. To a degree, obviously, I know you have to do things that you don't want to do, like to make progress in whatever area, like even anything that you do that you want to do, it's going to suck some days. But as far as like committing to something that I really hated, or I knew wasn't right, I never did. And it made things really challenging through my 20s. Because, you know, say I was uh, dating a girl or something like that. And their parents would ask, what do you do for a living? And I'd always have to like give the story. Of, I used to play <laughs> hockey, you know, and then it was, you know, until I figured out that it didn't matter what what they think, you know, it was just like, was I happy with myself? And at the time, I wasn't. So 
it took a while to kind of figure that out. But I think a lot of people feel the pressure of society and they feel the pressure from whoever else is in their life to do something that maybe they think is right. They think is the right move, but it's not necessarily right for you. So I think it takes a lot of courage to sort of try different things and figure out what that is. And I think travel is one of the best things that you can learn. Something that I did that opens up your perspective on life in so many ways. Because when you go out of your own country and you go and explore different cultures, you start to appreciate what you have more, but you also start to see how others live in that. The way you live isn't the way everybody else does too. Like we become very self-centered at our environment, like this is how it should be. But when you travel, you go, oh, wow, okay, interesting. You know, some things you don't like, you're like, oh, I wish I had this, but some things you do. And I think you develop more compassion, you develop more empathy, you develop more the ability to adapt to situations. And I think those are key factors for business and life that you can't just teach those in school. You have to experience them when you travel, you get your ass kicked sometimes. Sometimes it's rough. Sometimes it's like, man, this sucks. But it's those moments that make you stronger and open up your mind so that when you do come back and you start working, it's almost like you've experienced it before and you're, you're, you have a wider perspective on life, which makes you a better employee, which makes you a better boss and all the things. So I think traveling is like one of the best things one can do for, for growth. Absolutely. Yeah. It's great to see, see the world and see how people live and live differently and do things differently than you. Was hockey your first love? That was, that was your dream? Yeah. I mean, hockey was, you couldn't get me off the ice. <laughs> like I was obsessed with hockey. You know, I loved it. I was very good at it at a young age. You know, I played some of the top tournaments in the world for my age. Like I was, I was a top, probably one of the top 50 kids in the world when I was 10. And I didn't realize the opportunity I had at the time, right? As I got a little bit older, we moved away from a hockey city into more of like a city that wasn't as hockey-ish. I don't know. Things just sort of went, things, my development kind of was up here and it sort of evened out with the rest. But where I grew up and where I am now in Edmonton, it's like hockey is life. I'd go after school. I would start playing, you know, as soon as I could and I'd play till 10 o'clock. I was obsessed with it and I got very good at it. My teen years were very challenging. So like it kind of took my focus off what the goal was. I was very emotional. So I just stopped caring about it. And I forgot that the window of opportunity is so slim when you're that age that if your focus is off, then it can just disappear. You know, as I became, you know, early 1920, my focus really dropped. I was kind of sick of it all. It was a lot of work. We start to play at a high level. And uh, yeah, before you know it, it was over. But it was definitely my first love for sure. And I learned so many, so many valuable life skills from that. Was your aspiration to play professionally or at that point later in your teens, you sort of already accepted that this wasn't what you were going to aspire to go and do after, uh, like do as a career? Yeah, I mean, that was the goal. It was professional. That was the goal. And as I got into junior hockey, I started to question my abilities for some reason, the belief. For some reason, there was always this like, oh, there's somebody that's better than me. And I, I realized now I'm like, shit, if you would have just silenced that worry and just inner voice. focused every single, yeah, every single day on being the best you can in your group, doing the best you can, just show up daily. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about next week. Don't worry about your coach. Just do the best you can. And when you do that every day, that's how you become great. And I just got so lost in the focus of 
the end result that if I didn't make it to the NHL, then I'm a failure. And that is so far from the truth. This is why I think it's important. I want to work with young athletes on this is that it doesn't matter the outcome. Yes, that's the goal. But there's so many things that will open up for you. If you just do your thing every single day the best you can, that's it. And you may not make it pro, but you may meet the right person. You may, you may open up an opportunity. You may get a scholarship to the States. You may, there's so many opportunities at that age that sometimes when you're so fixed on playing pro, like I was, it's like the way I thought it should work out. When it doesn't, then you just feel like you didn't succeed, but that's furthest from the truth. And I think. It's just so important to be adaptable at that age to kind of just be, do the best and accept what opportunities come your way. And for me, it just sort of, I don't know, man, it was a, it was a wild ride during hockey. And once things didn't work out as planned, I just sort of, I sort of just got discouraged. I'm curious if this was the same experience for you, but sometimes I've found that like, if you have a dream or something you're aspiring to do or build, once you already put the end goal, not where you want to go, but where you're like, I need it to work this way. You already have that in your mind and you have your mind made up. Like sometimes that can suck the fun out of the thing that made you fall in love with the thing at the beginning. I don't know if that makes sense. Totally, man. I completely agree because you have to remember that you're playing a game. You got to enjoy it. And people, you shouldn't have fun. Yeah, you should. If you don't have fun, you shouldn't play because you aren't going to be able to handle the stress that comes at you when things get really hard, when you practice every single day. We used to have to practice every morning. We had curfew. We had to be in at nine. You know, if you don't enjoy the game, it's going to be hell. You have to have fun at what you do and you just need to focus on what you're great at and just get really good at it. Stop trying to be all the things. If I gave myself advice when I was that age, that's what I would say. I'd just be like, just own what you do. Stop worrying about what everybody else is thinking or doing. Just Show up and just do the best thing. Be the best at what you do and love it. If you don't, don't waste your time. Because if you hate what you're doing, stop. But I did love the game. I did love the game. But I feel like the pressure that I felt, I guess I wasn't dedicated enough to what it took. And I think to become a pro athlete, it takes relentless commitment. And it's tough, man, when you're a teenager. 18, 19, like there's so many temptations, you know, the better you get at a sport, the more girls you meet, the more parties that happen. It just starts to be this like constant testing of your commitment to your craft. I remember my dad used to tell me this. It's like, you know, you stay focused, stay away from the girls. And I would say, you know, go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's true. Each level you go up, there's more of that. So when you play pro, you have like whatever you want, but it's hard to see at that age because there's so many things and you're getting exposed to all this stuff that it's hard to like stay focused. And the kids that just stay focused were the ones that made it pro. The ones that were great at that age, a lot of them didn't make it. It was the ones like that just chipped away every single day. And then they ended up making it because they stayed focused. That lesson was really, really important for me to realize. And even if that's the only thing I got out of playing sports, that's a very, very valuable lesson, but I got so many from that journey. Yeah, and you know, you could apply the same thing to anything you go and pursue in life, and I'm sure you totally. do in your own show. Yeah, I mean, it's always going to be tough, right? It's always going to be challenging. Like, that's it. What was it like when you hung up the skates and started to explore what was going to be next in, in your life? One other thing, it's funny also because it's so easy to sort of uh, apply like an identity to your craft or like, you know, in, in business, you say, 
one of the most common questions, you know, that people ask is what do you do? And that's like that becomes your identity, right? Your your career, your business. It's interesting how you could have more than one identity and it just doesn't need to be the only thing, but that's difficult when your pursuit is so pure of this thing you really hope to go and do and and make happen. Yeah, it's a great question and this is what happens to most athletes is that because you you become the character of that right? You do the things, that's who you are. That's your identity is that athlete. And if you don't become the, you know, the pinnacle pro athlete, then who are you? And that's the thing that starts when you're younger is that you got to realize that this is just a stage in your life. If you make it, great, do whatever you can to make it. But realize that if you don't, there's still a ton of opportunities that you're going to have. And, you know, I have a good friend who actually endorsed my book, Daryl Stinson. He wrote a book called Who Am I After Sports? You know, he was a football player. He blew out his knee, got really addicted to like Oxycontins and stuff like that. Almost took his life because he didn't know who who he was after being a football player. And I think, you know, for me, after hockey finished, it was like, I didn't really know. I kind of was relieved at first because I was like, oh, freedom. I get to do the things that everybody else gets to do. But that after a while was kind of like, oh shit, I don't really want to do this. (laughs) I don't really want to go and work. I don't really want to go and and work these jobs. Because, you know, when you play hockey at a high level, you get everything looked after. I'd come home in the summertime, I'd train, I'd party with my friends, I'd go back. And, you know, you don't have to worry about working or paying rent or any of that. At once I finished hockey, it was kind of a rude awakening because I was like, oh, shit, I got to go do this stuff. And and that's where I was like, how long can I use the hockey player story for, right? Like, oh, I was a hockey player. And, you know, two years go by. I'm like, okay, I can't keep saying that. And it was trying to reinvent myself because I didn't know who I was after sports. I really didn't. And that's what I said earlier. Like, I tried every job. I think I was seeking something that gave me fulfillment. I didn't like jobs that I just clocked in and clocked out and was like, what is this? I don't, I'm just doing this for money. I needed something that gave me fulfillment. I searched around and I couldn't figure it out. So, you know, that's when a lot of the distractions I talk about in my book around like the drinking and the partying and the doing the things, it's like I was hiding from who I, feeling who I actually wanted to become and learn and learn what that was. And I think it's quite normal at that age, especially with athletes. When the sport ends, it's like you're trying to figure out like what's next. Some go down a very dark road, some don't. But for me, it was just, it was challenging to figure that out. But I always knew that whatever I did in my life had to bring me fulfillment. It had to bring me something that I knew I was making a difference. Didn't know what that was. But the first thing that I discovered was working in the hospitality industry. As as minimal as it is, I felt a fulfillment. I felt when I go to work, when I know that somebody is showing up, whether it's ordering food or whether it's ordering a drink, I am going to give them my best effort. I'm going to give them the best experience. And when I know that they paid money and they loved it and they left feeling great and they felt better than they did before, I felt good. I love that. And that was like my thing for a while. And that's why I love the bar industry. That's why it helped me in so many ways. You know, I don't like to shit talk that industry because Although it took me down a challenging road at times, that industry taught me a lot. I think that was kind of the next identity that I became. When you talk about identities, it's like, it's easy to take these on. Then you become that next character. So sometimes that other one is hard to let go of. You have to make peace with it and know that that served you in some way. Once you realize that it did serve you, then you can kind of let it go. It's never going to be away from you. It's always part of you. But you can't live in this like, what if I did this? or Why didn't it work out or this or that, right? Because it's just going to constantly make you feel bad. So that was sort of like the transition out of that hockey player to bartender and 
it was really fulfilling for me. It gave me, helped me make a lot of money, helped me build a lot of relationships, meet a lot of people. And uh, it served me for many years. How does your podcast come about? What was the birth of the podcast? Yeah, so the podcast... So I was living in Australia for five years, working in bars and doing all that. I had, you know, some pretty big loss, as you know, in my family. And I took a whole year off drinking in 2017. That year really gave me clarity. Like a lot of people ask me, when did things turn? When did you make a turn in your life? And that was the time. Once I was sober for a year, it really gave me this like newfound clarity that what I was doing in the bar industry wasn't what I wanted to do anymore. I ran a bar sober. It's working at a very good bar in Sydney, Australia, running the bar program. And I realized I don't want to do this anymore. So I realized like, okay, well, what can I do? So I started to pursue getting into more like online marketing and like figuring out, trying to do Facebook ads and trying to figure out what the hell I was going to do. What I realized was that in order to sell or in order to build potential clients or a following, you got to share your story because people that were doing well were sharing their story. And I couldn't, I couldn't seem to write out posts and express the level that I was trying to express or like tell stories at that time very well. But I saw how podcasts helped so many people. Like I've been listening to Joe Rogan since 2011. And I saw how many people he helped build their brand from the exposure on his show. And I realized, I was like, wow, podcasting really builds trust with people. Like, I was like, I trust this guy because I heard a conversation like I was a fly on the wall. And I was like, what if I started my own? So during 2017, I, I was, you know, I was reading a lot of books. I started to get more into spirituality. I started to read Tony Robbins. I started to read uh, Tools of the Titans by Tim Ferriss. And I was like, okay, well, and I was listening to podcasts and I was like, what if I started my own? What would that look like? And I knew right away that this was a major thing. I talk about in my book about our intuition and there's like a scale of one to 10. And this was like a 10 out of 10. I was like, I have to do this. <laughs> I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what the outcome is. I know I have to do this. So luckily somebody just showed up in my awareness, hired them. And I was like, whatever it costs, I don't care. I made it happen. So the podcast started. And what I realized was that I needed the inspiration in the first place. Like that was the reason why I gravitated towards this content. And then I realized, well, what if I could be that inspiration for others? Now I have a platform. People can learn about me. I can build a following. I can connect with people and they can get to know me. If they don't like me, then they don't have to listen and they can, I don't have to like try and manipulate or tell somebody who I am. You could just listen to my show and you can figure out who I am right? And when it comes to business and marketing, nowadays, it's all about trust. It's all about that. So like if you can, if somebody can trust you, they'll buy from you, right? As you know, it's important. So the podcast was something that I knew was the right move. And I love the idea of talking about adversity and challenges. This word adversity kept coming into my mind. And I was like, how are we going to do this? So we called it University of Adversity. At that time, podcasting, there is a few, but it wasn't that crazy. And I was just, I would interview people and then people would send me people. And all of a sudden I was getting these big names. I was landing all these guests. And I was getting people like Grant Cardone and Dean Graziosi and like hockey idols of mine. I was like, holy shit, right? So I was like, <laughs> I'm doing the right thing. People would just constantly say how much it's impacting them. And as I started to have these conversations on a regular basis with these high level people, it started to change who I was. 
I started to become that person because I was, I was in the proximity of these people all the time talking, you know, with people that have done the thing that I want to do and how they did it. And, and eventually the podcast kind of like, it changed me. It helped me kind of figure out who, what I wanted to achieve. So I've just gotten so much feedback and you know, from having a podcast as well, it's just like, it's such a gift for us as hosts, but also to hear the feedback that you get from others and the relationships that you build. And now, you know, we're 400 episodes, but it's four years later. So yeah, it's been a wild ride, man. That's amazing. So obviously, you know, a lot of what you talk about and help share is around adversity. You know, I don't want to put my own words on it, but I would say a lot around adversity being a gift as much as it's something that sucks and that's painful. I'm curious if you could talk about the balance between adversity being this thing that's incredibly difficult on one hand, but all the gifts on the other side of, of adversity as well. Yeah, it's even evolved as I've done this, how I've, I see adversity. And it always sucks in the moment. But I like to say to people that ask me this, that who do you want to become on the other side of this? That's what you want to visualize, right? The feeling of overcoming this. Who do you want to be on the other side of this? No matter what, you're going to face shit. You're going to face difficult stuff. We all do. But in the face of it, like, how do you respond? What's your emotional response to it? And for me, what has been helpful is that I know from my past that anything that I've overcome, I've been so fucking happy and grateful for because it, it, it shaped and brought a different level of character for me. And if I didn't go through that, then I wouldn't have learned the lessons. And yes, sometimes these challenges go on and on. And I think that if you can put yourself in the future self, like if you can picture who you want to be on the other side of it, what this can do for you and how you're going to feel on the other side of it, it's going to be easier in the moment. And that's why I talk about how important it is to really condition yourself for whatever gets thrown at you, because no matter what, we're going to get challenged. So we have to almost put our own body armor on and build that resilience because there's going to be these things daily that hit us. And if we get emotional and we unravel, then the whole day is going to become that. I've been there a million times, you know, something affects me and then the whole day unraveled. But then there's other times where I'm like, okay, what is this? Is this really a big deal? Like, you know, how am I going to move through this? And, and just shifting, having that emotional awareness, that emotional intelligence really helps just slowing down. That's why things like meditation, journaling, really reflecting on yourself and, and the presence gives you that extra time when things get challenging to really figure out like, what is the solution here? Instead of like focusing on the problem. I just think like most people, once something hits, it's all about the problem and not about the solution of like the things, the energy that it takes. There's so much energy that it takes to focus on the problem. But imagine you put that into focusing on the solution and who you're going to be on the other side of it. I'm curious, what about things that are so painful or unbearable or obviously I know that you had significant loss in your life and I feel sometimes like in the moment when you're facing that, it's hard to even think about five minutes in the future, right? Or who you want to become. Obviously, you know, when you're when you're going through something so difficult, you need to move through it, right? You can't just yeah. snap your fingers and then be on the other side. But what would you say to someone that hears that and, you know, they might be in the, the mud, in the thick of the mud right now? That's a great question too, because it's not, it's not about bypassing your feelings. It's not about fluffy 
sunshine and rainbows on the other side all the time. It's not like that. It's phases. It's being able to sit in the shit when it's time. It's being able to feel the pain because grief, loss, pain, suffering, all that stuff, pain is always going to be coming, but choosing to suffer, it's a choice, right? You have to feel the pain for a certain period of time. You have to feel the emotions, but there's only so much time before you have to move on. But there's different ways to deal with grief. There's not one way, you know, and for me, it was important and it still happens that when I feel the time where, you know, let's say I miss somebody in my family or I had a bad breakup or something, it's important for me to give myself that space. I don't give a shit what anybody else or anybody on social media says, like it doesn't matter. I have to give myself that space. And sometimes these feelings come up and I have to honor them. When you work through that stuff and you sit through it and you reflect on it, that's what helps you move through it. If you deny it and you just push it away, it's just going to sneak up on you later. But I also am a big believer of giving it the space, saying, I'm going to give this hour or this two hours to really feel it. If I have to cry, if to do this or that, fine. But then it's time to move on. Then it's like, now is the next phase. And if you have to keep going through that for a while, that's okay. But I think there's a lot of this pressure people put on people to not feel things. Like you have to feel we're humans, right? There's the polarities, there's there's the highs and the lows. But it's important that when you do have a low, that you honor that. It's part of life, but then you don't want to get lost in that. Because I also know people have been part of different healing communities and people become that new story, that new identity as being the broken one. I need to always be healed. I need to be constantly fixing myself. And I talk about this in my book too, The Fixer, one of the archetypes. You have a lot of power within you. You just have to remember that. Just because you're in pain or you're feeling things doesn't mean you have to feel that forever. But you do have to honor that. But then you also have to honor the fact that you are powerful and that you need to make choices on how to move out of it. So it's tough because in the moment, we don't want to feel the gratitude. We don't want to feel that, right? Because we're dealing with pain. But then also, the more you go through, the more you realize that there's some bigger reason here that we're going through this. There's something here. And if we can somehow see that in the moment, which is, I think, one of the biggest skills in life, to know that how much this is going to serve us down the road, as much as it's hard in the moment, that's the key. And I think people that understand that can feel that emotion and work through it and just know that this is part of life, that it will pass, this too shall pass, and to just not get stuck in that darkness forever. Yeah. There's some great bits of gold in that. I think adversity is one of the greatest things that can happen in your life. You don't wish bad things upon anyone, but I look at all the, the hardest things that I've been through. As much as they they suck, I'm so grateful for the good and the bad that's taken place in my life. So I've gotten into um this past year, I did an, a half Ironman and I just ran the marathon this past nice. weekend. And I actually find sometimes manufacturing adversity in your life can help expand the way you, you view the world and expand what you realize is possible. I remember when I was running the, the half Ironman, it was so incredibly challenging. I remember there was a moment in time where I started just having all these realizations in the race where I'm like, am I choosing comfort in areas of my life? instead of pushing the boundary, because right now I'm pushing the fucking boundary. And maybe I need to take the same mentality, pocket that, and bring that to other areas of my life to start living a life of greater meaning, intention, and purpose. And you know, I think that that's, in many ways, if you're able to, like what you said, choose to, to move forward after or move through your adversity, there are a lot of gifts in the redirection that you could bring your life as a result. 
Yeah, totally. I love that. Choosing the hard thing. I think because when you choose the difficult thing, everything else, this is why doing a hard workout or something like that, when you do that, you exert yourself by choice, everything else becomes easy, right? That's why I like putting myself, this is why people ask me, why do you travel? You like living out of suitcases and going from place to place. I like, I like the feeling of a challenge because then I can appreciate the polarities of like when things are really comfortable, I can really enjoy them. Sometimes things are difficult, but I can see the gift in it. And I've really been training myself to do that. You know, I recently did that 75 hard program with Andy Frisella. That program showed me that when you choose, when there's non-negotiables in your life, no matter what, you do them. And even if you don't want to do them, it opens up so many doors for you. And you just, not only do you feel proud of yourself, but you realize like what you're capable of. I think that when we do choose difficult things, everything else becomes easy. So either you choose the difficult things or the difficult things will choose you. You know, I'm a big believer in my intuition. And if my intuition tells me that I have to do something that feels discomfort or uncomfortable, I'm going to do it because I know on the other side, it's going to be easier and it's going to be more smooth and more flow. But if I don't listen to that and I choose the easy route, I know that I'm going to be thrown adversity later because I am trying to avoid it. When you try to avoid these things, they will come at you in a different way. And you'll go, oh shit, why did this happen? It's because you pushed it away in some way. You were afraid of facing the thing. And facing the thing will actually bring you more freedom later. And I've really tested that. <laughs> I've tested that theory both ways. I don't want to do this right now. What happens? It bites me in the ass later. I'm going to do this now. Oh, great. And then later there's like a reward. That facing that fear, that uncomfortable thing, there's a reason that it feels uncomfortable and we can get comfortable at choosing that thing. It's like our soul is like, oh, thank you for that. And it gives us this sense of freedom. And discipline does equal freedom. It really does. So if you choose the thing you don't want to do, chances are it's going to give you a lot more, not only fulfillment, but that accomplishment and the ease or whatever else you do in your day. I'm just thinking now in our conversation, I actually feel a lot of people settle in their life and they choose this programmed route or this programmed belief as opposed to going for the things they really want because they don't want to feel the pain or the discomfort of the adversity that they would face if they chose the hero's journey of what they really want to embark on deep within themselves. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard because I don't think people really know the difference between what is truth or what is someone else's projection. It gets all tied up as to what somebody says, society, the news, social media themselves. What is actually true? What's the difference? It just becomes this clump. And I think a lot of people don't really know and don't really trust themselves and don't really believe in intuition or whatever it is. They don't know. So it becomes challenging. I think that all they know is what they're told is the right thing to do. They just do their best. And I think if people can start to actually question and be like, hey, is this actually a thought from me or is this like something else? That's what I think is like a general curiosity for everything. Everything we do, we have to question everything, not from like what's going on in the world or anything, but like, why do I do what I do? What is the reason behind it, right? Am I actually doing something? Like, what is the reason for it? I've caught myself so many times. They're like, what are we doing right now? Because again, the programming, it becomes subconscious. I think when we're aware of these things, we're able to kind of make the changes or the course correct wherever we are. But first really comes down to just reflecting on like, what is true to me and what is someone else's projection, somebody else's story? 
I love that. I know on your quest to navigate your own rock bottom, you worked with countless healers and you went about trying a lot of different things to heal, but also to move through your own adversity and your own struggles. What did you find to be the most impactful or some of the most impactful things that you did on your own quest of moving through the thick of the mud in your own life? You know, the thing about doing the work, the healing work, is it all has its place in the puzzle of your life or like the onion, so to speak. It's hard to really pinpoint as to what was that thing that really moved the needle. Because as you're doing it, you're wondering, is this working or what the fuck, right? And I think it's a combination. I was very invested in my growth. I've done Tony Robbins. I've done two Dr. Joe Dispenza retreats. I've done Kundalini yoga retreats. I did another yoga retreat. I sat with ayahuasca for four nights. I've done other psychedelics. I've done meditation. I've done breath work. You know, a lot of different things. I've learned from great people. I've interviewed great people. I've taught, had great conversations. All of these have a piece of the puzzle, right? All of them peel the layer of the onion in one way, shape, or form. So for me, it's hard to know which was like the X factor, like which was the thing that really made the most difference because I think they all have had a place. Even the entrepreneur journey has been a healing ass kicking, right? It's a humbling awareness of shining the light on the things that you aren't good at because when you're an entrepreneur, founder, CEO, whatever, whatever you're, you're not good at, there's a light shone on it all the time. So it forces you to get better at things or get help from people to do things that you're not great at. So all of that, writing the book was healing to get to the point where I'm And you know, today, I'm just at one point in my life now. I don't have it all figured out. I'm way further ahead than I, I was before. And that's why I like to speak to people where I was before. You know, I'm on a constant mission to like get to that, my greatest potential, you know, like we spoke about. So I think all these pieces have kind of laid the foundation in the brick by brick to kind of build that to where I am today and have all been energetically as powerful at shifting through different energy and different trauma and different different things. I guess living life too and just taking a, a risk and taking a chance on things has also really helped me discover what's possible. So yeah, man, I mean, there's, there's so many things. Awesome. I know we covered a lot of bits of gold on this podcast around living with purpose and intention. Is there anything we have not covered that you want our listeners to hear? Great questions, man. I think if anything, I always like to remind people how powerful they are. One of the concepts in my book is talking about the warrior and unlocking the warrior. And it's really about just remembering how powerful we are and like your truest potential is there. And whatever you need to do to get to that level of empowerment so that you can you can remember that what you're here for is important to do it's 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 worth it if i can give anybody a word of advice it's just to say that somebody needs what you got somebody needs how you say it the way you do it and when you show up the best that you can gives other people's or people other around you the permission to do that and i think that's where real change happens when we show up and do our best show up with integrity and truth and vulnerability other people can do the same. And I just hope that people take that away that, you know, maybe it resonates with them and yeah, come check out whatever. I got lots happening with the podcast and everything else. So hopefully that was useful. Where can people connect with you, follow you by the book? Yeah. So I'm big on Instagram. Everything I do is through Instagram. So lance.ecos, L-A-N-C-E dot E-S-S-I-H-O-S. And there's a link there where they can go right to Amazon and buy Master University. 
podcast is there also university of adversity and my website nancyseals.com super easy it's not hard to find me on google any of that so i would love love to hear anybody's feedback on what they got out of the show and uh if it was useful for them awesome well thanks for coming on the show today thank you brother i appreciate it all the links for this episode can be found in the show notes one of my favorite bits of gold from this episode was lance's suggestion to show up be your best and have fun It may sound so simple, but it's easy to forget that, especially once you start to focus on the destination, the goal. I personally know firsthand what it's like when you want something so badly that you obsess over it and that the end goal, the destination becomes the focus. But I've actually found that when you do that, it can suck the fun right out of whatever you are doing. So I highly suggest that you embrace Lance's bits of gold and you show up, you try your best and you have fun. I want to hear from you. What was your favorite bit of gold from the episode? Shoot me a message on Instagram at Dan Love Goldberg or at the Bits of Gold Podcast. Finally, if you can, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts as it really helps with growing the show. That's all for today. Thanks for living with purpose today and every day, and I'll see you next time. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.